Does he like being carried or no? Oh yeah, he loves being carried. He loves ladies. Does he not like men? He likes men, but he's a bit wary of them. Yeah, I think it's right to be wary of them. (laughs) 88% of murderers, mate. Obviously not all men, but be careful. This week on Walking the Dog, I took out the hugely successful comedian Sarah Pascoe, and our doggy companion was my Shih Tzu, Raymond. Sarah is a passionate animal lover, so I knew Ray would be all over her like a piece of bone marrow. I'd actually met Sarah briefly before through our mutual friend Catherine Ryan and I'd always been a fan of her comedy and her really brilliant writing but she's the kind of woman you just wish you'd had in your life as a teenager. She's just very smart and funny and so wise and she's even had a cat named after her. She's that much of an icon which you can find out all about on this podcast. I'm really looking forward to seeing her show this year which is called Lads 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 and it tours around the country from September the 16th and runs till November the 28th. And you can find out about tickets and dates on sarahpasco.com. I really hope you enjoy our chat. Please rate, review and subscribe on iTunes if you do. That's it from me. Here's Sarah. Now, Sarah, yeah. do you want to take Ray or should I take Ray? Can I take Ray? Ray, come on. Ray! You never listen to me. <laughs> It feels bad going, no, stop sniffing. And that's the exact reason that we're here. It's for you to enjoy yourself. I know. It's like stopping a boyfriend checking out other women. (laughs) (laughs) If they're so obvious that you see them doing it, (laughs) then they deserve to be stopped. (laughs) Oh, wow, look at that dog. He's fast. Very fast. Oh, it's because she's got a really good throwy stick. Yeah. I should introduce the podcast. I feel so relaxed with Sarah Pascoe. I just feel like I'm with a friend. And I'm just also, like when I'm listening to podcasts, I like it when I hear some preamble because I feel like oh, I'm getting a little... Okay, he is fast, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. We've just encountered the Usain Bolt of dogs. <laughs> yeah, so this is Walking the Dog, and I'm with the very wonderful Sarah Pascoe. And I'm really excited about this one because I know she's an animal lover. Yeah. A huge animal lover. So I won't have that thing of taking the dog along and being embarrassed if he misbehaves. Yeah. Because I sort of feel instinctively you'll be all right with it. I will be. But I always forget that if you have a dog, you have to pick up their poop. Yeah, this is true. It's a taxi It's a a great leveller. Even people who have amazing lives with lots of dogs still (laughs) have to crash down. (laughs) Well, this is is partly why I think it's really good. I do. It's the Gandhi thing, isn't it? Yeah. Cleaning the toilet. Yeah, yeah. You don't have a dog, we should say. No, I don't. I've always loved dogs. At university, my sister, I've got a very younger sister, and uh, she was very sick, and my mum, every time she was in hospital, would get her another pet. And the pets got bigger and bigger, and um, there was one stage where, when she moved on to dogs, she had a King Charles Spaniel, she couldn't look after it, so he came to live with me at university, and then my mum got her another King Charles Spaniel, and she came to live with me at university. So there was a period where I did have dogs. And, and what was it like having dogs at university? It was quite interesting, best. because th- you must yeah. have been... That would have been really special. It was the best, because also I went to university in Brighton, so you've got the sea. Um, so it's a really lovely place to go to university. You've got the downs to walk. And also, actually, like every, anyone who has a dog, that thing where it gets you out of the house and you get to experience all different times of day, all different kinds of weather, and you go, that's what I needed as a walk. Yeah. <laughs> what I needed was to look at the sky a bit or see some birds, and, and that's what uh, I think having a dog friend does for you. We walked into it. <laughs> a lot of pigeons. Some crows. I love all the crows around here. So this part of Finsbury Park, there's hundreds and hundreds yeah, of them, and they're very big and healthy and hoppy. I've got a really lovely really like personality. Yeah. yeah. 
couple of months ago, they all had their white feathers still. They were still little babies. Oh, really? Yeah. So they're seen as sort of sim sinister symbols, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Well, all, really... all birds are, really, yeah. because they were thought they could go to hell and come back. So, yeah, there were lots of things, especially like blackbirds and... I, I like all the bird superstitions. There was ones about swan feathers, about if you wanted someone to love you, you had to put swan feathers under their pillow. But there, there's loads of bird superstitions. Peacock feathers are very unlucky. Like people who, I still have this thing, you know, when, once you know a superstition, yeah. I'll see someone with peacock feather earrings, I want to go and go, mate, no. <laughs> you don't understand what that's doing. <laughs> and Cariad's mum, when I lived with them. This is Cariad Lloyd. She had a superstition about avocado pits. If you touch an avocado stone with your hands, your bare hands, then you won't have any money. And I still can't <laughs> touch an avocado stone. And also, I've become quite successful since I live with them. And I think it's all like, and I would say to someone, like, it's not actually anything to do with working hard. It's you don't touch avocado. Eat them, but do not do it, do it with a knife. You flick it out. It's very dangerous. <laughs> you flick it out with a knife. You don't pick it up. It falls on the floor. Leave it there. So when you were in Essex, there yeah. weren't any pets. Um, so my, my mum always had pets. We just didn't know how to look after them. So I think part of my uh, loving animals as an adult is guilt. So Christina... Um, That's your sister. So you had two sisters. Two sisters. Cheryl's 18 months yeah. younger than me. So we're very close in age. Christina's seven years younger than me. She's, uh, she became diabetic when she was 12, but she's also insulin resistant. So she had a horrible, horrible teenage years. Yeah. And my mum and just wanted to make her happy. Christina loves animals so much. So she, it started off with like rats and rabbits and terrapins. But Christina, you kept rats? Christina did, yeah. Then it got to cats. And my mum didn't realise you had to keep cats in for a bit before you let them out, so they just always left. Like, I remember her once getting out of the car with two cats who ran in opposite directions and we never saw them again. Um, so you go over here, which way? So we probably went through ten cats, yeah. and then she moved on to dogs, and so Christina had two King Charles Spaniels, and then she got a Dalmatian and a Weimarana. Yeah. And then that's when it was like... Yeah, so these are yes, the dogs that got, you took to Sussex. Yeah, the, yeah. the King Charles Spaniels, yeah. and then... And now Christina just has... What does she have? Now she has two cats and two children, so... <laughs> <laughs> so it's much more reasonable. And your mum, mm. um, I read your book Animal, which I, I want to talk about as well because I loved it so much. And it was one of those oh, books you. that I thought, I felt, so, I loved it, but I felt really sad that it wasn't around when I was oh, younger yes, because yeah. I thought, God, if I'd have read this, it just would have made so much sense of everything yeah. to me. And, but I, I got a really vivid yeah. sense of your childhood and your mum is called Gail. Yeah. And did she, she was a single parent, wasn't yes, she? Yeah. yeah. And, and she was very young as well, so I think the other thing with my mum is, so she was, had me at 19, so when my mum was 25 she had three children by herself, and it was only when I got to those ages that I really realised, oh, I had huge expectations for someone who was a child yeah. <laughs> herself. Yeah. yeah. And your yeah. mum's mm. backstory I am fascinated yes. by, because... Yeah. She was, your dad was a musician, wasn't he? Yeah, so he, he was in a pop band. He, a pop so band. he was a singer of a band called Flintlock, and my mum was 14 and I think at a stage of her life so she's still got all these scrapbooks so it was something we were really aware of growing up but I didn't really know that that wasn't how everyone's parents had met but when she was 14 she moved out of home and um, part of the fun thing that she liked to do when she had money one, her and her friends would go and sit outside my dad's house or they'd go and see a recording of their TV show and they'd wait outside and there's all these Polaroids of my mum looking very unhappy 15 with a big bowl haircut <laughs> next to my dad who was 18 or 19 and, and um, she, oh, by the way, I'm yeah. following you. Oh, are like you? So let's go, let's walk round and then we'll go okay. round the pond. Okay. Um, and, uh, and so your mum was essentially a, I mean, she was a fan. She was a fan. Yeah. And, um, and then 
but they, my dad, I think, <laughs> oh, there's lots of versions of the story, some of them more glib than others, but essentially my dad left the band. My dad was very unhappy. And again, very, very young to have had yeah. kind of a bit of a taste of fame and realised it definitely wasn't for him. And um, basically they went out on a, a date. He, she loved him, like loved him forever and ever and ever. And he maybe felt sorry for her or maybe saw something special in her. But anyway, they got pregnant very quickly, accidentally, uh, with a child, which was me, which my dad definitely didn't want, which was also a very fun part of our family narrative. Because um, as a child, I found that very upsetting, that detail that had come along and ruined my parents' lives. But And were nah. they quite open about that, they would say? Yes. Like, but my, but my mum in general is, and it wasn't that she wanted me to hate my dad, she wanted me to understand how loved I was now. And so her story, her, the story with my dad was, and he didn't want you, but the second he held you, I've never seen him look so happy. That was the story, but as a child I held on to, I wasn't wanted. Of course. I, these, these teenagers. <laughs> but in the same existence. way, yeah. the, the review, the person on Twitter that says, oh, yeah. I didn't used to be a fan of yours, but yeah. I like this show. I know, of course, yeah. all you'll remember is yes. they're not a fan of mine. I know, well, I've looked into, well, this, so this is really interesting. In terms of evolution, we have no need to learn from positivity. It's not dangerous. We don't need to learn from good things. We do need to learn from bad things. And so the fact is um, if you go to an area of the woods and coconuts fall off the tree onto your head you need to remember that pain and, and it needs to be a visceral not only in terms of you remember it forever and I think we have things like that psychologically as well as, as well as physically where we need everyone to like us otherwise socially we're not safe so someone right. saying uh, and also it's, it can be so mild can't it we're also oversensitive it doesn't even need to be, I didn't used to like you. It can be, the bit I liked was, and all you hear is, so you didn't like the rest, <laughs> like, all of those kind of things. And store it away for several years. Yeah, I mean, everyone can quote their worst reviews. Yeah. <laughs> like, word for word, seared, seared into your brain. Do you think some mm. people that you come across in the industry, mm. in comedy, do you think some people are more Teflon about it and some are more sensitive or do you think it's just a general? I, th I think it's exactly the same as the world at large and that people have very, very different coping mechanisms and we reinforce different things. I think there are people who really do enjoy not being liked or being divisive and, I, and it's genuine, they're not faking it. Like it feeds them. So like a Katie yes. Hopkins or a Piers Morgan? Oh yeah, so contrary people. I was thinking about, I had to do a Guardian interview this morning. They said, what person do you despise the most? And I actually couldn't think of anyone. I thought I should say something like Jeremy Hunt or Katie Hopkins. And then I started thinking about Katie Hopkins going, you just, whatever's happening, you just stand in the opposite direction and face it and say yeah. the opposite. And it's, so it's, it's an algorithm. It's not, yeah. it's not even genuine. It's, 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 it's as disingenuous as someone who just does like, um, What's that? The virtue signalling. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's just the opposite of it. So you go, she doesn't mean a single thing. And sometimes it must be so boring to just go, oh, OK, you're all doing me too, so I'm going to say. <laughs> I'd love it if she was secretly a real philanthropist and quite left-wing. Well, she's probably, I bet you she's fascinating at dinner parties, or at least I hope yeah. so. And be, be, because just occasionally you go, wow, actually, I hadn't thought of it that way. You're right. But um, why did I get into that? Oh, oh, no, so oh, I was just talking about your parents, yes. actually. Oh, yes, and yeah. About your dad. Yeah. You, are you not? How oh, yeah. is it about you not being wanted? Yeah. Which is yeah. Possibly the yeah. most insensitive thing I've ever said. <laughs> um, oh no, it's not insensitive. But no, but there was yeah. a sense of. Um, so my parents were very, very, very. They always talked to us as adults, even from being very small. Like my mum always says, like I was dressing myself from eighteen months. Like she couldn't tell me what to do, and um, and it's something that I'm very, very, very grateful now. But there was a times in my childhood where I wished I had been. I didn't want to know stuff. It's like, oh, stop talking to me. Like, I understand your divorce. I'm seven. <laughs> like, 
the kind of that kind of stuff. My mum didn't have friends, so from 14 she was kind of chasing my dad around and living with her dad. And then she just started working. As soon as she had me, she just worked and worked and worked. So she's never had the social... She didn't have people to talk to, is the thing. So she had her children to talk to. Yeah. So I think that's a big part of it. When you were at school and things, were you... I've read what you said about this, and it's interesting that you've... The picture I get is of mm. someone... You were quite an activist and quite... Yeah, I think, that, but I think there's something about the morality, the, the unwavering morality of a 13... 13 to 17 year old girl that I admire. I think they should run the world. I now am so middle ground, equivocating. There's probably another side to it. <laughs> Whereas I wasn't then. I was like, bang, I know this is wrong and it should stop. And, and uh, yeah, like a vigilante. So and what I, sort of things did you do? I mean, were you reading? Well, there were things like, so some of it was, was feminism. Like I am. Um, yeah, I can imagine yeah. you doing the Germaine Greer well, at so 12 it, so or something. Yeah, well, my, mom, my mom had been bought, Germaine, my mum had been bought, our, body, our, our bodies ourselves, by a boyfriend. And I'd read that, but no, Germaine Greer, female eunuch, I read it at 13. And I definitely, definitely didn't understand huge swathes of it, but a lot of it did speak to me. And then what I had, which I <laughs> actually probably, I think, still have on some level, was that thing where, you're trying to repeat what someone else has said that you really believe, but you don't have the language, so you just kind of cry with rage, that kind of thing. And I, I remember the other day, like, fighting a boy. I used to fight a lot at school. And um, fighting a boy who, in drama, had called me a prostitute. And it's interesting, because my book I'm writing now is about sex work. And I had so many levels that I was angry with him using that word, and part of it was about... I knew it was a term of denigration towards me, but also I was very angry with him to use that term. Yeah. Because that then is... It's saying that that's a bad thing to be in general. It's, <laughs> so did you know back word. then? Because I, I think that's quite unusual yeah. at that age. I, d I couldn't verbalise any of those things. But that, I knew he was being... I knew, I knew it was an act of aggression towards me and women in general right. was, was the thing. But then it just ended up with, like, yeah, peanutting a boy. Um, because um, there was a thing at school where boys couldn't hit girls. Oh, bless you. It's hot, isn't it? It's very hot. We go to a nice shady bit, Ray. Be Does nice. he like being carried or no? Oh yeah, he loves being carried. He loves ladies. Does he not like men? He likes men, but he's a bit wary of them. Yeah, I, think that's, I think that's right. I think it's right to be wary of them. Eighty-eight <laughs> percent of murderers, mate. <laughs> be careful. I'm not. And I'm obviously not all men, but be careful. Yeah. So, and did you see your dad throughout this period? Um, was he sort of so it's, it's really an erratic it all, presence, it all has such know. a happy ending because oh this is nice my, Sarah, yeah. isn't it? oh this is very cool look at here? this yeah you yeah. can sit here um, so what so now when my sister started having children so Cheryl had Rosa maybe seven or eight years ago yeah um, my parents made up and and not just like made up as in like civil but the first time they were in the same room all of us me and my sisters it was the it was the strangest thing because you actually want to go back to it's about 13 or 14 and go don't worry it's gonna be yeah. fine yeah. it's just all of these things take a long time to heal now that like, they were together Chris, uh, Christina got married last year my mum gave her away she didn't want my dad to give her away but my dad came over and was such an important part of the day with his wife and it's just so amazing so they've resolved so that's all yes yeah it's, it's, so which is so it's got a real happy ending but yes there was a there was a long period this is what I would say is like Anyone's heartbreak is really, really hard. I can't imagine heartbreak and children and divorce. And my dad, my dad didn't help matters. Number one, he's a jazz musician, so he's travelled all over the world and he needed to dedicate, for himself and his sanity, he needs to de dedicate himself to his music. But 
Like, he never, ever helped my mum at all. Like, he never, ever gave child maintenance. And my mum, everything was so solidly on my mum. And so there was a period of time where we would see my dad, if he was in England, we'd see him periodically. But even that was quite hard because we felt very, very guilty when we saw our dad. And we to definitely, your mum? Yes, to, to our mum. And we absolutely knew where our, our, alliance, our allegiance was supposed to be. And my mum would quite often say, she didn't, it's hard because he would do fun things with us and she would say, but that's what's unfair is that I do all of the boring stuff and I clothe you and I do these things and then your dad gets to take you bowling. I'm kind of with her. Yeah, no, no, she's, <laughs> abso she's absolutely right and we knew she yeah. was right. And actually, I think it's so interesting. I follow um, Fathers for Justice on Twitter and so some of what they do is really uh, uh, problematic. I think there should be spaces where aside from parents and what's going on with them. I think it's so easy for parents to use children as cruelty. And I, th and I, and I think in the majority of cases, children need access to both of their parents. I wish there was a better way of supporting that. So that dads and mothers who do not speak to each other at all, they still know the children are looked after there and they're in an env environment with other, and there's fun things to do. And I don't know how you, there's a big bowling alley <laughs> that's kind of funded and it's difficult, yeah. that, isn't it? It's because really difficult. It does fall... Yeah, one, it's a good cop, mm. bad cop thing, yeah. I suppose. But it does sound like you've got a healthy relationship. You don't sound like you have any residual resentment towards no. your dad for leaving, which no. is something that yeah. I think you really do need to resolve yes. for your yes. relationships and I your think happiness. Also, I think for adulthood, I think when I look at people who are still very upset about parental things, I, even, for, even from mid-twenties, I thought, oh, you have this arrested development unless you see your parents as people. And that's what the forgiveness process is, is going, oh, I see you made that decision for that. Or, like, my parents didn't love each other anymore. Or my mum loved my dad, and my dad didn't love my mother. And that's nothing to do with loving me. When after university, so I was about 24, I went to stay with him in Australia for three months. And that was our process of becoming friends, which is yeah. what we are now, yeah. And actually, the other thing is I, I'm a comedian, it's my job, and I know that I wouldn't be that unless I had seen my dad and how my dad... Well, I knew that it was a possibility. You didn't have to be rich to do something that you liked. My dad's not rich, but he plays saxophone every day, and that's the thing that made him happy. And having that as an example in the parent, if my dad had quit to work in a fast food restaurant or a supermarket to make sure that he gave money to my mum, I wouldn't have had that message. I'd have had a message of going, you do the responsible and the right thing. And I was going to ask you about that. So you mm. had the sense of, um, you didn't, you didn't think, did you think at a young age, I'm going to be a performer? And was that because of your dad? I, or did you know you were, the, you were slightly an outlier? I think, I think I knew from really young, but same with Cheryl, that we just wanted everyone in a room to look at us. And so when I was really young, I was much more of a show off. I wasn't, uh, shy. When I was very young I wanted to be a model, which is very embarrassing because in all of the family photos I'm standing like legs astride <laughs> with my head back and my hair flowing like and I was <laughs> blissfully just and I, I tried to dress really creatively, lots of skirts and trousers <laughs> at the same time. I did tie dyeing my own clothes with bleach, with toilet bleach and my mum, I thought that I used to customise all these clothes. My poor mother and my mum would say that the washing machine had eaten them. My, my mum would tell me that if you disintegrated something slightly by cutting holes in it or putting bleach on it, then the machine just it dissolved. <laughs> and it's only as an adult, she was throwing these clothes away because her thing was, I'm a single parent with three children and everyone thinks, oh, they're going to be badly behaved and badly turned out. And yeah. I was cutting my clothes up and covering them with bleach. <laughs> and she just couldn't bear it. Um, 
And so Cheryl and I used to do assemblies at school. And um, Cheryl's a teacher now, and she says it's really funny because I see pupils that are like us, and I really like them, as in because they really they want to be involved and they're very interested, and it's actually a relief as a teacher. Yeah. But but we were just like, um, sorry, Miss, we're going to do a version of Oliver next week, so can you put like, or and sometimes I used to do did didactic assemblies about oh yeah about war. I was very anti-war as a child, <laughs> very anti-war, trying to make sure everyone else at my school knew my feelings about <laughs> war and theft. And can you imagine that? Probably they uh, hated Sarah's me. Do one but, of but, I didn't, but I didn't care. I didn't care because I was just like, as long as they're looking this way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I guess I had some. So I, th I think everyone's confidence. This is what I think about childhood as well. I think as long as the very, very beginning bits, you feel very secure and very loved. Yeah. Then I think you have like an inner core that's very resilient. And then on top of that, you have layers and layers of insecurity <coughs> because of peers and adulthood yeah. and adolescence and heartbreak. But that's all on top of something. I think if your very centre bit is strong you can kind of weather anything going to university that was a bit later wasn't it yes. you left home when you were I left home at 18, 18. i had to my mum the rule was you had to leave when you were 18. Yeah. did she did you have a conversation about that or did you it was, was it we, just we heard it throughout our childhood until you're 18 <laughs> until you're 18 and then you go on also when i was 18 she moved she moved from romford to the the countryside so cheryl stayed for two years and then she moved at 18 as well um I knew I couldn't live there. She moved to somewhere called Tiptree. They make jam there. And why did you? Yeah. Where did you go then? When you were eighteen. How did you have money? And oh, the Millennium you... Dome. Yes. So I worked at the Millennium Dome. So I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky. Basically, and a... you know what I love about that is that you'll never be able to lie about your age. Not no. that you seem the type that would. No. You get older because it yes. it's so places. Yes. You. Yes. Like yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Job. Ages me. Um, there's a guy called Andy Day. He's now a CBeebies presenter. So he does. Um, so he does like these programs with dinosaurs, and he's this really. But, but he was my, one of my best friends from college. I was working in a bar, and one night, as I was like sweeping the floor, he knocked the thing and goes, Go to Manpower tomorrow, the Millennium Doma hiring. And, and is Manpower like a temp agency? Yeah, a temp yeah. agency. So I went to Manpower, I did an interview to go and work at Millennium Dome in ticketing. And when I was on ticketing in the first month, I saw people were coming through and asking about where the auditions were, and I realised that there were auditions for actors to be character work in the zones so what did you do at the millennium so what then? happened it was and it probably is the best job i'll ever have we must have paid something like whatever equity minimum was which to me was a huge amount of money let's say it's 280 pounds after before tax like it was a huge amount of money five days a week but it was an hour one hour off so you only ever worked four hours a day but you were there for eight hours and um you put on a costume and you just improvised so there were lots of cues and um you might be an alien or like a schoolgirl running through an orchard showing people what what to look at or there was a referee played on the biggest ever football um uh what's table football thing yeah, and you had yeah. a whistle and you timed it and you would just do stuff and then there was a, a money man who wasn't really a character but you just had to stand next to a million pounds and everyone had different money men were you so yeah. so it's interesting that a lot of people would have that's their idea of hell yeah do you know what i mean yes. and that you obviously you sounds like you enjoyed it and well you, I, I was very scared about lots of things i was very scared about interacting with the public but then i would get this um i guess it's physiological rewards i would get this hit of this is what i'm supposed to be doing and i'm onto something and i i had just started smoking when i was 18 i remember having these like b and h's looking at the thames going <laughs> it's all going to be all right pasco <laughs> like i had this real sense of um being where i belonged <laughs> that was my first it was adulthood so i lived mm. in, a, in, a, in a house with 11 people in leighton stone we had mice and rats and it was very cheap 
You were used to that with your sister's yes, pets. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. I was used to some happy I do really like mice, actually. Um, sorry, they're not the worst. Some people can't bear them. But they were like, they would keep you up at night, like if they got stuck in a bin or something. Yeah. Kind of place. I couldn't live now, but it was lovely then. And yeah. so were you think, was there a plan? Were you thinking, see, you know how you yeah. secretly, sometimes mm. you don't admit those things to other yeah. people, do you? You just think, I would like to do this, but I'm mm. too embarrassed to yes. admit that I want yeah, to do it. it. Seems was like there so a sense arrogant. of that? Yeah. Like, did you think I want to be a comic or an actress? Never or? ever comic, it was always actress. A comedy, up until 2007, when I started doing it, I despised. I, I thought it was such a... It was so, I guess, also, I hadn't seen very much of it. Actually, I didn't despise it. I'd seen the stand-up that I'd liked. I, I liked Harry Hill, who I saw on my 18th birthday. I was taken, and I'd never heard of him. I liked him, and I'd seen like Billy Connolly on television. I thought he was improvising. And Jack D. He kind of existed as... I think he was probably the most famous comic in my childhood. So I, but I thought they were all improvising. But comedy in general... Actually, I would have said it's very, very, it's hateful. I'd have said it's very sexist, it's very horrible to old people, it's very homophobic. Everything I'd seen of comedy, which wasn't a lot, I judged it as like, oh, it's for, it's, it's for children. It's for it's, it's children at the back of the bus, but they're, they're old men now. Yeah, doing yeah, that yeah, kind of thing. yeah. Um, so I, but I desperately wanted to be an actor, and I really had this drive of like, one day, everyone will see. <laughs> so I guess that's what I had at the Millennium Dome, and all of those times was that, that sense of being in the right place. I was like, okay, you're working towards something. I get the sense of you being slightly, um, yeah, a bit of an outlier at school mm. as well. Yes, I think what had happened was that qualities that I had in primary school, that teachers used to say, oh, did you get dressed in the dark? There were all these jokes around me, but when I went to secondary school, I was called weird. And it's, I'm much softer now looking back on myself because I can see how that child became me and, and I feel fine about it. But there was a period of time where that was the worst thing and I hated it. And also I didn't know what I was doing that was considered weird. Oh. I thought I was being completely typical yeah. and didn't understand why these reactors were. Whereas now I look back or I'll, I'll describe something like, oh, even to carry out a lot of our friendship was me going and then I did this. <laughs> and then I'd be like, no wonder everyone hated you. <laughs> but I just didn't, I didn't have a different, I didn't know how to do it differently. And also it stands you very, in very good stead in terms of being a stand-up and having something, or being an individual even as an adult, isn't it? And it's such yeah. a cliche, you know that thing when you talk to anyone who's still at school or college, going, oh, popular people, they yeah. don't, they're, not, they're not interesting adults. It's just, it's really sad. I'm sorry if you're popular, but it's just, you're so dull. <laughs> Everything that you think is uh, a negative thing though, about you it? is such a strength later. Yeah, but it's, and it's so hard because it doesn't take away any of your misery when you go through the school gates. I, my school... Um, my secondary school games, I, I asked them if they wanted me to come back and I was doing a project where I had to do like outreach things and it's for the London Word Festival and one of them, I, I wrote back to my school and said, oh hey, I was very unhappy at school but now I'm really happy and I'd really love to come in and do a workshop with the year 11s, do some drama Was workshops. there an element of you wanting to sort of, as a sort of cleansing exercise in a yes. way? Yes, I, I wanted to be able to say to the literal children in the, who were me, yeah. but no one tells you not to worry, to reassure you, this isn't life. They want you to think this is life. It's not. And there's, and, and there's this future. And and, um, and they, the school said, no, thank you. It sounds very disruptive. <laughs> they didn't want any more assemblies from Pasco. <laughs> 
I thought I was. A, well, actually, I'm a television person now, and I'd love to come in and day in you. They're like, no, nope. <laughs> no, thank I you. I love that. Yeah. I hope you said, well, you know, disruptive. You probably yes. don't understand the way that word's used now, yes. and it's actually very positive. Yes, thing. yeah. <laughs> but you see, I see you when you talk about not being popular and all that mm. sort of stuff. I'm one of those conventional girls, if you like, yes, at yeah. school. Those. But I think of you as very um, conventionally sort of beautiful. Yeah. And I think, so, was that... Yeah. So it's a nice thing to say. I think it's the other thing about being a teenage girl. I have no idea what it's like to be a teenage boy. So it isn't me saying that men don't have these same things, just they didn't go through them. Yeah. I, it's, it's that thing that lots of women must have whenever you look at pictures of old you and you go, I was so young and I was so thin. <laughs> and you just spend your life getting older and fatter, wishing you'd been happy before. <laughs> and, um, and there's a thing like, I absolutely, absolutely felt so disgustingly ugly. And I wasn't particularly, it's not like my parents called me ugly. My mum would have said that I was beautiful. She definitely tried to tell me I was beautiful. But at school, um, I was, was called names, but I think all girls are, and all girls call each other names. And actually, it's not me saying even that I was, that I didn't do that to other people, because I bet I did. It, you know how to hurt people's feelings. Yeah. But I, d I felt very, very fat and very, like, I, I made my own skin crawl with how disgusting I thought I was. I didn't have, like, makeup or I cut my own hair and things like that, but also, like, I bleached my eyebrows when I was 14, because... I started bleaching my hair and it was that awful orangey colour that you get out of a box yeah. when you bleach your own hair and, and it was all like dry like straw and also I'd missed patches like I'd just, I'd just done it very badly and then my friend Hayley said that I should use Jolene on my eyebrows because it looked really weird that I had... Can I just say, Hayley? Hayley, yeah. So I bleached them and then they're completely white and you couldn't see them and then... Everyone called me eyebrows. I say everyone, like some people called me eyebrows and I felt so ashamed. And then I got roots on my eyebrows as they grew back in. And it was things like that. I used to shave my face and my arms, which now I've got a very like, downy face, facial hair, like I'm covered in and I'm, I'm like a peach, which is fine. And I now know that that's one of the variants of woman. But at the time I hated it so much. I would shave all my sideburns off and then they would grow back and be stubbly. I remember my uncle Trevor, one of my aunt's husbands, very kindly just kind of stroking my face and saying, stop doing it. Oh, they're dancing, it's just the nicest thing. What's it we should explain, Sarah, you yes. explain what's going on. It's well, like... there's a group of children. It doesn't seem to be very educational. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it is a school day, so I'm going you to complain what? to the council. I'd go so far as to call that disruptive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're having some kind of PE lesson, but I don't know what that cool dance is called off the internet. Is it like it's the sellotape, the weaving one? Yeah. And they go in and out. Um, and now they're doing press-ups. Yeah. And this is a very, very multicultural class, which also yeah. I love. It's like it's Benetton would love to yeah. have this as an advert for them. It's incredible. It's such a lovely site. We should actually say, I don't know if I even said where we were. So we're in Finsbury Park. We're in Finsbury Park, which is really lovely. Listen, you can hear them singing now. And a helicopter as well. You sound like you sort of, you blossomed suddenly, didn't you? Because you had this weird period where things could have very much well, what I had gone just, one way yes, and what I think is um, so I was very very lucky in that pff, even though I hated school and was very unhappy at school I went to a sixth form college which was lots and lots of schools of favouring and suddenly I was just in a group of a hundred people who loved drama and yeah. loved, as in not just uh, emotional drama like uh, plays and musicals and um, and there were so many of us and that's where I made so many friends and suddenly being weird was this incredible currency. Like the coolest girl at my college wore a tiara yeah. and, and my thing was that I wore children's clothes. Yeah. And like, we all had these little tiny things and, um, and suddenly they were 
you were appreciated for them. Yeah. And so while I didn't flourish, I then did realise, okay, this is adulthood. And, yeah. And and school, once it's done, you never have to go back. Yeah. Is that Robbie Williams thing true, by the way? Yeah. Because so, no, I, I thought my destiny was to do what my mum had done, which is like stalk a pop star down and marry him. <laughs> so we, yeah, we were at 14 when he left Take That, Cheryl and I ran away to meet him at the big breakfast. <laughs> and again, that's very confident. And also now I see a 14 year old. We were so young, but we thought we could live by a canal in Stratford. <laughs> we were just like, yeah, we'll just do this now. We'll just I love here. it. Um, and then... When, when um, I worked with his dad in 2001... But this is Robbie Nottingham, Williams' dad, yeah, yeah. Pete Conway. And I thought, when I did this audition, and they said, um, we're actually, um, we're looking for uh, singers for two. One of, the, one of the hotels used to be Noel Edmonds' house party location. I remember getting tingles. Thinking, oh, Crinkly Bottom. Yeah, Crinkly Bottom. Yeah. Like, oh, God, I'm so close, I'm so close to stardom. The house, <laughs> the house that was in Noel uh, Edmonds' house party. And then it was so easy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was. And that's it, I had this, th- uh, and then... Um, and then, I, and then they said, and the other one is doing a backing singer for Robbie Williams' dad, Pete Conway. And I was like, that one. And I remember... So, that, so, so you, were, well, you were the backing singer for Robbie Williams' yeah. dad? And, um, and I remember it was in Havent, the audition, and I was waiting for a bus. It's before mobile phones, or I definitely didn't have a phone. And I just remember being like, I was buzzing. I was just like, I was, uh, it was like I was coming up on this thing, but I couldn't tell anyone yet. Like, you don't understand, I've got this job. I'm going to be paid, I'm gonna be paid 100 pounds a week to sing with Robbie Williams' dad. And then when I got to the hotel, they were like, Robbie Williams came in a, a helicopter once a news even You know, like rumours go around. Like, yeah, yeah, Who's yeah. met him, da, da, da. And I really thought, this is it. I'm glad you mm. abandoned that plan and yeah. hitching yourself to <laughs> a pop star. You think I've abandoned that plan? <laughs> this is called a long game. This is called a long game. I'm going to marry all five of them. <laughs> I had this thing. This is why I think they'd be more grateful this is, now. No, they wouldn't. This is how Carrie Ad and I used to talk. I remember when I very first started doing stand-up, I'd started watching The Mighty Boosh, and I hadn't really watched any comedy ever. But to see something which was I thought was so clever, and I just didn't realise really that adults could have fun and be silly. Yeah, and so I you thought, thought they had to be... And also it's yeah. that sense of... I know what you mean, especially when mm. I was growing up, because I'm a generation yeah. older, yeah. and it's... I saw comedy as sort of Bob Monkhouse in yes. a dinner suit, yeah, that's but it, it was an after-dinner speaker yes. thing. Yeah. yeah, that's it, moaning about your mother-in-law. <laughs> and then to realise, and I just, I thought, I thought Mighty Boosh was so incredible, and I'd always used to say to Carrie, when we would watch them, I'm not meeting them as a fan, I'm meeting them as an equal. I'm, I don't want to meet them until... And then I remember like doing something, must have been like never mind the buzzcocks with Noel, and like, meeting him in makeup and being so disappointed that he wasn't like, hello, my equal, <laughs> let's be best friends. <laughs> yes, it's that sense that, yeah. well, I've thought about you for so long. Well, that's it, and Carrie did QI with Noel, and it's the same thing. So we both kind of go, we actually both ignore him because we can't ever say, you don't understand what you represent <laughs> to us, and part of me... <laughs> inside is still screaming going let's freak out about this it's like being mad like you made a thing happen but we used to walk around camden in certain outfits waiting for fielding to round the corner and go them they're my people <laughs> my birthday's the day after him and i remember thinking we'll have joint parties <laughs> we'll have joint parties won't we you know when you watch people on talent shows going i've always known i wanted to be this so i always yes. want this when it actually happens, when there's situations like when I left university, Carrie and I went to watch QI being filmed because we had no money. It was a very cheap thing to do. Yeah. And we watched Stephen Fry and um, uh, who was on there? One of the Reeves and Mortimer. Vic Reeves was on oh, it. And, yeah. and I remember really clearly them doing the pickups and Stephen Fry having to correct facts and me thinking, well, he doesn't just know it all. There's something in his ear. Yeah. And, then, and then when you sit on that show, it's like you've gone mad. It's like you've, you've got this dissonance where you go, 
I've wished something so much I made it happen. I'm inside the television. Yeah. I must be in a ward somewhere talking to the wall going, well, Stephen, here's a thing I know about. Because, and then you go, then it gives you this thing of like, oh, and you start saying to people, if you believe something enough, you can make it happen, which I don't think is true, but it feels that way if it did happen. Does that make sense? I, say, I, yeah. I agree with you. I don't think it's true, but it's interesting because I was chatting to Rob Brydon the mm. other day and he talks about, you know, it's a lot of luck, Emily, a lot yeah. of luck. Yeah. And then when you look at his story, yeah. you realise, well, there was a, you know, oh, well, Steve Coogan got this yes, tape. I said, a tape yeah. that you'd made and yeah. spent money on yeah. and carried around every day in your yeah. bag with mm. you and had the guts to hand yeah. it over. I think there is, I think, Do you know what I mean? I, but also, I think, so part of the luck is who you are. Yeah. So my sister Cheryl's much more talented than me, and I say that generously now, and I couldn't have told you that for 10 years ago. It still hurt too much. But we did drama together all the time. Cheryl's the naturally talented one. And my auntie Juliet once thought she was being very kind and she said to me, Sarah, it's a really difficult industry and you just cry too much. You cry all the time. And because the thing was that Cheryl was confident and brave and I was too fragile, but actually the truth of our characters is, is I could take rejection. I was never a golden child. I expected to be told no. Yeah. And, and I was like, then I'll come back harder and I'll work. So that attitude is the lucky thing. Carriage and I went to see right. Rob Bryden. He was doing a chat show where he interviewed couples. Going there. Ray's going into the children's playground. No, you're not Ray, a child. Ray. You're a dog. And he and, and and I asked a question. It was to Eureka Johnson and her husband at the time. And Rob Brydon came up and he said, "What's your name?" And I said, "Sarah." And he said, "What's your surname?" And I and I didn't want to say. And he said, "Are you you're on the run from the tax man?" <laughs> and I still remember it now. And I've never told him that that I went to see a recording <laughs> of his show. <laughs> and now I get to like hang around with him. Would I, I lie to you? <laughs> no. What's yeah. down here? It's like a little amphitheatre. It's, it's a picnic and play area. I think Ooh, we should lovely. go here. Let's Ray, go here. Going into comedy, did you have that sort of, you know, you've, we've established yeah. that you thought, you know, you liked attention, I yes. suppose. And yeah, so I think lots and lots of things I did in my life, like working Where's at Millennium gone? Dome or doing tour guiding and things yeah. that I didn't know at the time, but they were feeding into, yes. they were giving me a skill set that would help. But I, the other thing that is fortunate is I didn't want to be a comedian, I wanted to be an actor. Comedy an was like a yeah. way of stopping me And atrophy. now you're both. Well, I'm mostly comedy. Yeah. I, I don't really ever have time for acting. And also, I've got that thing, because I do it so rarely. When I do, I'm like, oh, this is shockingly bad. Oh, no, <laughs> you, know, you, know, you, you can't think you, know, that. you feel like you're lying. But and you, when you're tell, in yeah. W1A, like, you must yeah. be really proud of that. No, no, because I, I only ever go in for a day and then just get paranoia. That's what happens, actors' paranoia, because they go, OK, moving on to the next scene, and you go, stop! <laughs> but that was absolutely shocking in every single take. <laughs> we can't move on. After you graduated, Sarah, did you just think, was that when you decided to do comedy? No, so I, I, well, I, there's, a sh there's a show called News Review in Little Venice, and I was doing that as an acting job. And um, so what it is, is, is you do four shows a week, but you kind of write and rehearse it, and it's satirical, and you change about a quarter of the show every day. Yeah. When I first saw it, I thought it was the best thing I had ever seen. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. They changed the words of songs <laughs> to make them about current events. And I just thought it was absolutely genius. And um, you do multi, you, you all wear black, and then you kind of do Of course multi, you do. Multi, oh, hello, I'm Tony Blair. <laughs> and then it's just all of that kind of stuff. And I thought it was amazing. And, um, and then I, so I auditioned for that, and I knew the director. And that's why I got it. And um, in my cast, there was a stand-up comedian who I fell very in love with. Oh, and you? I fell very in love with him. He did stand-up and I used to go and watch his gigs. And he, um, <gasps> I'd never, I just ne had never seen live comedy. I think maybe I once went to Jonglers and saw a ventriloquist with my mum. But this, this, these were just, it was just guys with pads in their hands, sort of making jokes about the fact their jokes weren't very good. And I was like, oh, I can do that. 
do that is absolutely rubbish. And so um, when I broke up with that boy, I had that really like white hot energy you get when you're heartbroken, where actually you oh, can do. I'm sorry, Ray's just, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Ray's just sorry about that. that. He thinks that's Ray. a crisp picnic all for him. Um, so, yeah, so the heartbreak thing, yeah, and you suddenly think... And I think it's a bit like Lassica, isn't it? It's yes, like, right, I'll show it. you. And also, I think you, you get to that point where you can, if you do write, you do write lots and lots, and or if you play guitar, you're heartbroken, you end up playing guitar 12 hours a day. And, and so, for me, I found this thing that you can just do. Like, compared to acting, stand-up, you just call a number in time-out, what it used to be, and then you just say, can I have five minutes? And they would say, I think we've come to a, this is a dead end. I think we should go back to this way. Or can, <laughs> we, get through, or can we get through that way? Oh, here you go. I found it. Okay, she's found thought it. I thought it was shut off. <laughs> it would have been quite fun to go, oh, now we just live here. <laughs> strip of the park. And so, and then, so I did stand up for years um, before I ever thought it was my proper job. Yeah. Which was good, because then I didn't ever get too hung up on. And I, I tried lots of things. I was very experimental early on, which I think is really good. For years, I was doing an old fielding impression. Like, <laughs> desperately wanted to be a female Noel Fielding. And when someone told, said, oh, you really sound like Noel Fielding, I thought that was a huge compliment. And I now realise they were trying to go, it's really clear what you're doing. <laughs> I remember seeing you at Edinburgh. I think it would have been your... But your history one, it was uh, oh, yes. 2014, yeah, I think? Yeah, history one, yeah. So I was up there doing the radio show mm. with Frank Skinner, we mm. used to do it up there. You were, I think you were nominated for the Fosters that year? Yeah. Or there was, you know, there was this huge bars. And I've got something really embarrassing to tell you. And oh, I think gosh. it probably shows me in a <laughs> yes, really bad yeah. light okay. and how old-fashioned and entrenched my views were. That I remember seeing posters of you yeah. in Edinburgh. And I remember people talking about you a lot and... David Baddiel, I think, was a fan of oh, yours yeah. and was met, talking well, about you. I met David and Frank at the same time. Yeah. What's crazy about comedy is you meet your heroes really early. If, you, if you're in your first few weeks of stand-up, you don't get to support the Rolling Stones, but stand-up, sometimes you do. Yes. Like you're on the same yeah. bill or you're the open spot or just you're talking in Edinburgh. So I remember chatting to both of them and like wanting to pinch myself going, like, they're normal people who like ask questions back. But, but yeah. it was weird because I can remember looking at these posters and this is so cringe and embarrassing mm. that I thought this. I thought... Why is she a stand-up? She's so beautiful. She could be a model or an actress. Oh, Isn't that awful? <laughs> Isn't that awful, Sarah, yeah. that I thought, you're too beautiful? Mm. And it was, it was like it shocked me. Yeah. And I'm very ashamed of that now. And I think yeah. it's useful to acknowledge yeah. that I didn't think it for long. Yeah. I think it was a brief thing. And it was almost that idea that, but I can't believe she's bothered to develop all this brilliance as yeah. well when she just had a free yes. pass and could have, you it's know. It's so strange, because I, I, once, once someone said to me, it was, it was like a director guy, and he said, you, you, he, who used to do stand-up as well, and he said, you, can't, you couldn't do stand-up because you have to have a thing that you say when you go on. Like, you have to be able to go like, oh, I'm so fat this, or yeah. I'm so old this, or I, um, uh, I've got a big hooked nose this. And I remember thinking as he said it, well, I can just go like, oh, God, I'm so disgusting. And actually, when you're a woman, I've seen lots of women who are new, you do have this urge at the beginning to go like, oh, how dare I? Well, you know, it's interesting, because I can remember, I check myself because of women mm. of your generation mm. which is really important I think because I'm much more conscious mm. of that now so yeah so then it just sort of felt like I mean to me mm. to the outside mm. it was like right your career just was hugely successful yeah. and it was all quite quick that comedy yes. thing but maybe it yeah. didn't feel no, like I think it's very very quick now there's yeah. one of the things is that um, in terms of representation in comedy the time I started which is just over 10 years ago or maybe 11 years um, I, there was absolutely a boom in terms of channels and um, radio shows and, and basically they realised that comedy was really cheap television and um, 
got cheap to produce and that they needed to have women on there. So I'm one of quite a small band of people, but still a band. Let's say there's eight of us who had, there was lots and lots of work, which is really great in one sense, because you go, oh, suddenly there are more women than there were. But the other sense of that is that that also then filled the quota, so it needs to continue happening. It can't be yeah. the same women doing these things and then them going, we don't, we can go and to that pool of eight or ten and... And people get annoyed, so they go, why are you on everything? And you go, well, yeah, because comedy's actually not very good at introducing young people or believing in them. Do you see kind yeah. of panel shows and stuff like that, though? Mm. Is that, do you see that as a sort of necessary evil to promote your... Yeah. Well, no, so I, I, really enjoy enjoy I really enjoy them. I really enjoy them. I know some people don't, yeah. and I know that some people don't like watching them, which is also fine. Like, I don't think... It, Dylan Moran says some stuff the other day, and it's like, yeah, I don't think they're made for you. I don't think they're... Yeah. I don't think Bill Hicks was alive. He'd be going, just get me that booking on <laughs> Would I Lie To You. Like, but actually, when you're there... Which is a great show, Yeah, it was a great hit. And, and, and you to told fair, a brilliant story on that, about your going to... Costa Rica. Yeah. And people are... Whenever they go to Costa Rica or Spain, I get a little tweet from people. We should say yes. what you did. You basically I, had... I call it your heartbreak holiday. Well, that's it. So I was, I was filming something for two days, and on one of the breaks, we were filming in Lewisham, and I was living in a travel lodge, and I just moved out of... I basically, I bought a house with my ex-boyfriend and moved out of it. Basically, everything was there, and it was Christmas was coming up, and then I just thought, I'm just going to go somewhere and do like one of this lovely spiritual retreats, and I went on this yoga website, and when I saw Costa Rica... I just thought, oh yeah, Costa Rica in Spain, Costa, like Costa Brava, Costa Rica, like I just, in my head, and so I was just crying on an iPhone in a half hour break with like a catering plate, and that's like, that's it, I'm going to go for 10 days to Costa Rica, it'll be a bit warmer than this, I'll just be away, didn't think anything of it, until I got onto a plane and they said that it was 14 and a half hour flight, and I just remember thinking, that's too long to get to Spain, <laughs> and then looking at this little aeroplane going, out, was it going to America? <laughs> Where's the plane going to America? So, yeah, so I, um, I, your book, Animal, I absolutely loved. And I was saying to you earlier, I think I loved it so much because I just felt I wish I'd had a book that made sense of things, sort of the physiology yes, and, yeah. the, and the sort of brain chemistry behind yeah. things. Because you talk a lot in it about things like jealousy. You yeah. say that you mm. are jealous yeah. or you suffered from yes, jealousy. Yeah, yeah. And you explain why that is. Mm. And all of that and just that need to bond with men there's a, yes. one of my favorite bits in your book is there's a bit when you admit to your then boyfriend mm. you say something like you know it's all going well yeah and then you say something to him when you're sort of curled off in bed and you yeah. say please don't Pro- promise, you leave ne- me. promise you never leave me yeah and he responds like a reasonable person rationally <laughs> no he was he was he's he such says, a rationable boy and it also it wasn't that he didn't what he was trying to say and it's exactly actually the kind of thing my dad would say is that he said, that's not the kind of thing you can promise someone. And it's that thing where it's like, I guess I'd shown so much insecurity at that moment. But sometimes you just want a salve. You just want, that's why, that's why people get married. Because yeah. you you're promising yeah. a thing that people can't promise each other. You don't know, I, honest, I don't think you can promise that stuff. But in there, there are moments where you go, I feel so much, I'm so unsafe. Yeah, Please yeah. just calm me for a second, or let's just believe that for a second. But I yeah. related very strongly to that. Yeah. And, that's, and I've found in relationships, I've often been, like, I've had ex-boy, one ex-boyfriend mm. say quite, he used to laugh and say, oh, poker face, laying like, cards on the table yes. all the time. Like, yeah. I'd say, what do you like about me? Yeah. What do you think? And you think, actually, I always trace that back to my, an absent father yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And yes. But reading that book, even mm. even sort of recently, yes. I should say, I found that really helpful. Yeah. Because it's sort of like, well, this is 
there's actually a, a physical reason yes. behind this. I think, I think what's helpful is sometimes going, because the way the human mind works is if you feel something, you attach narratives. So it's like if you're in therapy, you go, I feel like this. And then you can spend, well, why is that? And this is from my past, or this is the way that person looked at me or spoke to yeah. me, and all those kind of things. Where sometimes it's just, well, rejection um, socially makes you get cortisol in your system. When you've got cortisol in your system, you don't feel very safe. It's a stress hormone. You're looking around for predators all the time. And I find that calms me down to go, stop thinking it's a big story. You're yeah. a mammal with a limbic system. <laughs> but certain, stuff, certain stuff makes is you that like what you people. Say to your friends when they, yeah. You're like, oh, I've when just they, broken oh, up I've been sacked from work. It's your limbic system. <laughs> calm down. So, yeah. Let Sarah come round and yeah. give you one of our limbic system <laughs> yeah. chats yeah. gathered by the fireside yeah but no i genuinely mm. would like you to give me one of yes. your limbic system chats but, 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 but it doesn't it doesn't calm everything down i think especially maybe for lots of people the hardest thing we go through is, is grief yeah. of losing someone and sometimes that's losing someone who hasn't died but they don't want us in their lives anymore or we can't have them in our lives and it's such a physiological pain for such a long period of time I think the only, the best medicine for it is to keep telling yourself very positive things because we live in a culture where the story is, I've been watching Sex and the City, which I never watched as a child, as a teenager, so I'm watching it now, and it's so strange the things that they keep telling you about the one, or maybe you get two ones, and there's, there's a lot of reinforcement of especially heterosexual gender stereotypes that are really, really unhealthy, and there's so many things that we all absorbed from friends and Sex and the City and we don't realise that they make us unhappy. Because no one said, monogamy is really tricky. <laughs> and if your parents couldn't do it, why the hell would you be able to? <laughs> like, and actually, yeah. you're right, because that was, if you think about sex and city, mm. I know there's been a lot of discussions about that right mm. now, and people defending it and saying, no, yeah. it taught me a lot. But I do think you have to look at the ending is fascinating. Yeah. She did basically, a man who jilted her at the altar, yeah. gave her, made up for yes. it by buying her a closet. Mm her shoes yeah and you sort of think well no we do absorb that yeah well that's yeah. why i really loved all of the um mark kermode stuff about it's about capitalism not love i think he's so bang on the money is that is what it was about that the, there's um, a couple of things in there about with men who don't have as much money as women which i've noticed and there's one episode i'm writing about in my book where a man leaves money for carry after sex and, and when you actually extra, extrapolate it, I do think there's a lot to learn in it, because they do quite often, the girls come at something from a different angle. It doesn't tell you one version, it tells you four versions often. But the, the actual take home is, is Samantha saying, men give, women receive, it's biological destiny. That's a really huge thing to say. Mm. And I think they were saying it to women and they were saying it to men. And that's what I've been thinking a lot about with, these, with the incels. For every Cinderella story which, which infantilised women and say, wait for a man to save you, men were being told you have to behave a certain way or you're not yeah, a man. Yeah. And so it's, it's to, to, to everyone there's this real... Because that isn't the world and it is more complicated and we just, we just ate, all of us communally ate yeah. or drank at some very poisoned wells. Well, I never even yeah. questioned it. So, hello. It's beautiful, it's a isn't, doggy, it? isn't there? Say hello. Go say, say hello. hello. Got it's, a lovely it's very soft hello. and very gentle. What's your name? Yeah. We got a smile, <laughs> yeah, we got, got a smile. smile. <laughs> bye bye. See you, Sarah. You always make them leave with a smile. Yeah. Um, I've, been having, I've been having therapy for about eight months and um, never Enjoy. ever made her laugh until two sessions ago. It was the first time, and that's why I noticed, oh, I've never made her laugh before. I didn't know what her laugh was like. So I don't think she believes I'm a comedian. I think she thinks the therapy is to do with my delusion that that's my job. Because <laughs> the first time I said something about one of my friends is dating, she's 39, 
And I said, so she does have to ask on the date, do they want children? And if, yeah. and if they don't, she doesn't have time for dessert. And then, <laughs> which is a true thing that she had said, and I didn't, I wasn't being flippant about it. And then she laughed. But that's interesting but, yeah. because Russell Howard, mm. who I did this mm. with, he said to me, he'd had therapy and he said, I just felt I was kind of trying to get laughs. Yeah. I could see that a bit. Some comics have that. Yeah. yeah. Um, how do you find it? Mm. Do you think it's helpful? I think it's really, I think even just the fact you talk about yourself for an hour. And also, I always go in, I don't know how you find it, I always go in going, I don't know what I'm going to talk about this week, as in, I've got nothing. And just something she says at the beginning, and we'll end up having a session or something. Quite often, she's not very excavatory. It's qu- quite often, it's coping mechanisms. And, yeah. But it, it, all week, I have this voice in my head who's much more sensible. So I'll come out and go, I don't think that's helped. And then all week, I'll go, there's this thing stopping me going too far down a route, or just, because also I'm going to have to tell her about it. So, yeah. I, so I think yeah, there's yeah, all these yeah. things around it that are really, really useful. We need to talk about your tour as well, because okay. you're so busy at the moment. So you've got, you're writing this new mm. book. And when yeah. is that out? Is that out next Next spring, week? yeah. And then the tour, this is Lads, 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 which yes. is one of my favourite tour names. Well, it's a, it, well, so basically I broke up with this boyfriend and he's quite, no, he's not annoyed, he's absolutely fine. But it's he both did shows about you, your breakup. Well, I, he did a show about our breakup. And, and our relationship, I didn't really, but it was a much neater thing. You know when sometimes something gets in the press in a certain way, Edinburgh's such a bubble anyway. My show was about, it started with me going to that's Costa Rica. Him, that's him, that's him, that's him, yeah. He's a real baby. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's a real baby. He's trying to, don't, you can't promote your tour on my podcast. You turned up here today, move yes. on. He lives in the park. <laughs> He's a real loser. Have a very good <laughs> we are, we are. <laughs> yeah, so his show is about our relationship. Mine was about being single for the first time in 15 years because I'd been overlapping relationships. So I was a serial monogamist who had kept meeting boys and then that was the catalyst to break up with the one before. And all of a sudden I'd done, from therapy, I only had two sessions and I knew to break up with him. She just said, oh, you don't, you don't seem very happy in your relationship. But you know when someone who isn't one of your friends, you go, oh God, now that a stranger has told me. <laughs> How can I possibly come back in and say, oh, I'm going to continue with this thing? Of course I'm not happy. And yeah. so, um, so the show was more about learning to be happy by myself and doing things by myself. And that's what it is. So like yeah. I've been now, because now my, my, if my instinct is, oh, I don't like that kind of thing, I make myself do it. So I went to see a horror film and I went to a football match and, and lots of things. Yeah. And that's what the show is. The show is about and continues to be about is adventures and fun things and, and really? trying to, yeah, but, but lads, lads, lads is something John used to say all the time when he was in the pub by himself. <laughs> and he was like, you've just named your show after a phrase. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, but I like that you've called it that as well, yeah. because there was something brilliant which I saw about it, which was saying that we'll have to put a disclaimer mm. so that there are no stag parties. Yes, <laughs> but I always put that on my flyers anyway, yeah. because you'd be just so surprised when people go, oh, we'll just go to some common days. Like, not yeah. mine, please. Yeah. <laughs> Don't come to me. And do you look forward to that, sort of going mm. on the road? And I really, really love touring. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's really, I mean, obviously that's a comedian's job and it's a point you're trying to get to, that people will come and see you. And it's just the loveliest thing, because compared to Edinburgh, Edinburgh is like um, people are running through a gallery. They're trying to see as much as possible and say they've seen it, and you all blur into one, and you feel very undervalued when you've spent a year creating something. Yeah. And you feel compared to your peers, whereas you're painting all by yourself when you're on tour. Well, it is exactly what I wanted when I was a child, was to walk out and go, everyone's looking at me, I'm the best girl. And that's what it feels like when you clap when people come on. When you say, <laughs> i tell you what I love the best, is when you say your own name and people woo, and you go like, oh yes, they're wooing me, I've not even done anything. And you do, you come out and you feel like a nine-year-old, like, yes, I'm here, <laughs> everybody loves me. Does it feel like that every time? That is it such a powerful 
feeling that that every yeah. time you go on stage does it lessen well or? no it's, it's about it's actually a lot about your mental health because for a long time i used to think i only used to think about the men who'd been dragged by wives who hated me so i would be backstage going oh god how am i going to convince these middle-aged men that i'm good when they just assume women aren't or they don't want to listen to me and they just they think i'm going to talk about my period and i am actually for an hour like i would i would have this real negative thing and it's such a you can do that you can focus on who do i have to persuade or who doesn't want to be here rather than them and it's so much nicer to, to instead go no actually they're really lucky i'm here <laughs> <laughs> every time you think a certain thought you're reinforcing it so like phobias every time you avoid something you negatively reinforce it so it gets harder and harder mm -hmm. and harder over time and, and and the same thing happens with positive things is that true yeah really? so this thing so lots of our thoughts we get into these hardened roots and that's why cbt and certain therapies so useful so what do you say about things like mm. heartbreak yeah you know they if you're trying to get over someone mm. or you think mm. you need a bit of distance mm. isn't that a case where actually you should avoid the pain source or do you think maybe that's a bad thing because that turns oh, I into i was just wondering oh, yeah. about that, that I, I think that would be such a dependent on the situation yeah one of the things that's really hard when you're in that state and you just want to distraction from it is like carriage would always say like oh this is another emotion like mm. like happiness this is another emotion and actually so you have to allow yourself to feel it rather than trying to and, and have and it. have and, and have as long as you need to have it like you know they have all these rules like oh it's half the relationship length to get over them all these things that aren't true i, feel, I think i think carrot yeah. <laughs> yeah i think that's one of those things but actually i think my first relationship at 16 took me 16 years to get over actually in terms of so i remember thinking when i was 32 and i met john and so it, it felt this... That's uh, your uh, ex, yeah, ex. yeah. So, so that for me was the cycle of when, oh, it's taken me 16 years to get to the point I was so excited about someone again. I thought, I thought that was only going to happen once when I was 16. And then I was like, oh, you get it every 16 years. That's the, that's the rule. Because you want to create... That's the cycle. You want to create meaning out of chaos. Where actually I just think that in itself should be celebrated as a phase that doesn't need to be hurried. It's better than going, no, you just need to get back on the horse or... if. Get, people say that, don't they? They do, and, and I just because well, I, I think because other people's people pain say it's quite hard to bear. People say you've got to win the breakup. People mm. say, and I think. Oh, and also I've noticed this, who was it was saying this stuff about breakup body. The idea that anyone's going to love you again with a smaller bum is that like, he doesn't love you, she doesn't love you. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry they don't love you. There's no way you just look more desperate if you look. Revenge yeah, pod. Yeah, yeah. yeah, revenge pod, that's what it is. Yeah. All they do is go, isn't that sad? You're not even eating. And of course they tell you you look nice because yeah. they feel sorry for you because you're <laughs> clearly not eating. That's but, why I think mm. you're, when, people, when women are open about mm. it, and I get that sense very much with you and Catherine Ryan, yes, which is yeah. how I met you yes, actually, yeah. we should say. I met uh, Violet's well, I knew party. You were, and then we were at Catherine Ryan's daughter's Violet's party and I had Ray with me yeah. and you were so sweet with him. and. Yeah, I Because I noticed you. the minute he came in, like, me, uh, me and my friend was like, oh my God, there's a dog here. Look at, <laughs> look at this dog. So I was like inching my way towards you. And then Roisin had Raymond in her lap. And I was like, oh God, she knows the dog. Roisin knows the Roisin dog. Roisin was straight in there. Yeah. But um, no, it was interesting that because I was obviously aware of you and I'm a big, I've been a big fan of well, yours. Been, so Roisin was the person who a couple of years ago mentioned you, as in she'd met... She'd either gone out for a drink with you or had a breakfast with you in Crouch yeah. and something where yeah. she'd end up with you all day. And she's like, do you not know Emily? Do you not know Emily? Oh, yeah, you know you. oh you'd really get on. Really get on. And I remember I had this like friendship, let's say, like, who's this <laughs> woman who my friend really likes? <laughs> yeah, when the new girl comes on the yes, scene. Yes, um, who is this person? And then, and and then Ad, you did Carrie Ad's podcast as well. And, and I listened to it. bloody woman again. And I listened to it, it's like, because I had friend jealousy. It's like, okay, let's see if she gets on with this Emily Dean, who's going around being friends with all my friends. 
<laughs> and she said the same thing, like, oh, no, you really like her. You're really good. I was like, OK, OK, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, be the, I'll be the judge of that, actually. But Catherine, I feel I say yeah. your name all the time because mm. Catherine Ryan lives near me. And mm. Catherine, we should say, mm. if anyone isn't aware, yeah. I can't remember if I mentioned this, but Raymond, my dog, is the half-brother of Catherine Ryan's dog, yeah. Megan. And of she, Megan, the really tiny one. Yeah. Oh, I thought that's it was a bigger one. Sister. Oh, she's well, tiny. Raymond yeah. and Megan's mother. She's she's got a couple of baby daddies, and I like oh, her for that. Oh, has she? Yeah. But it's very modern. There's um a cat as well. Uh, Catherine has a cat called yes. Sarah Pascoe. Yeah. Which I love. Is it a boy that? Yeah, cat? it's a boy cat. Well, I think so. It's so nice. You know, like in um. In the Northern Lights trilogy, that everyone has these demons, like this animal who lives outside of you. And I just, I remember really loving that idea when I read the books, just thinking how wonderful it is. And if you can just think of yourself that part of you is a squirrel or a swan or something. When Violet named that cat Sarah Pascoe, it was so great for me. There's a part of me always that is a boy cat, <laughs> just jumping around with his luscious fur. And it's, it's so nice that it's the full name as well, although his middle name is Panda, which isn't my middle name, but still yeah. the same initials. I just I've love known, him, yeah. But I like the idea as well. What I like about naming it after a friend, I named Raymond. My yeah. dog is called Ray. My yes. sister's called Rachel. Ah. And I thought, how nice to remember her yes. that every day I sort of say her nickname because hey, I yeah. say Ray. And I think that's really nice with Catherine and Violet. That yeah. They obviously really love mm. you, and yeah. your name is in their house. We just, we've just been to the Melbourne Comedy Festival, so Violet and I had spent a, a lot of time together. The other day I went round there, um, old Violet came to meet my mum's kittens, and when I opened the door, she opened the door to me, she went, Sarah Pascoe's here, <laughs> person, not the cat! <laughs> I kind of just shouted it through the house to Catherine. That is a great tour, that's your next door. Oh, right. Sarah Pascoe's here, the, the person, not the cat. The person, not the cat. Well, yeah, when Sarah Pascoe, the cat, went missing, Catherine, because she's just she's consistently funny. There are some comics who are very funny on stage, like incredible, but it's like they've worked so much on their stage persona, there's something lacking in real life. Catherine is the real deal 24-7. When Sarah Pascoe, the cat, went missing, she just put up posters all around Crouch End saying, have you seen Sarah Pascoe? Which is near <laughs> where I live, and there wasn't a picture of a cat on there, and people were tweeting me going, Catherine's looking for you. <laughs> No, and then Alex Edelman, her boyfriend, when Sarah Pascoe came back, went, oh, great, Sarah Pascoe's returned. And people were just going on to going, what? Like, what happened? Where did she go? And then you're sort of on the Daily Mail. Yes, yeah, that would be it. Sarah Pascoe found in a shed. <laughs> There's a free dog! There's a free dog! Run, 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 run. What's that doggy? What hello. Is that? You're trying to squeeze through to say hello. Oh, look. You're <laughs> so cute, You are very cute. You two would be great friends. They look really sweet together. Yeah. What is that kind of doggy? I don't know. Just a small, brown, happy dog. They're lovely. This is a real swipe right moment or yes. left or whatever it is yeah. the young people do. Oh! <laughs> he's trying, he's trying he so hard to so get out. So oh, Ray, there's a real Romeo and Juliet thing going yeah. on. Ray's very chill about it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, happens all the time. Right, we should leave you now. I've had such a lovely time I've with you, Sarah. I thought I've learned time. so much as oh, well. No. You're such an amazing woman. Uh, have you enjoyed meeting Ray? Yeah, I love her. Have a lovely day. Remember when you met that little brown dog that you loved? You were a bit chill, weren't you? He loved you. I really hope you enjoyed listening to that and do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. <laughs>